Hey guys, it's Lee. We're back. We just kept rolling like we said uh, we were going to do. Um, no pleasantries. We're just going to, this is one episode split in two. Not going to go through the prayer again and all that. If you need the prayer, please visit back to episode 6A in the beginning or visit our website where we will have Brother Troy's number and he will pray over you day or night. Just kidding. His number's not going to be on there. So anyway, we're going to move on. We left off with uh, Daniel 12.1 and Michael standing up, which is Jesus. Um, the, st- the standing up means to cease doing something, right? He is ceasing. He is now ceasing to be our defense attorney in the heavenly court. It's just like in the day of days of Noah when... The door was closed on the ark. You were either inside the ark or you were outside the ark. It was over. And that's what's happening here. Those whose names are written in the book of life are now secured. And those who are not are now damned. This is the moment when Michael stands up. Jesus stops doing it. And so to understand this, we go back into the Old Testament. We're not going to do it here. We're going to have a series. But for all of you guys, you got to understand, you go back in the Old Testament and you understand the tabernacle system, sanctuary system, however you want, temple system, however you want to call it. When you start reading about the tabernacle and sanctuary system, you realize that this is an uh, earthly model of the heavenly sanctuary above, Right? The whole thing was a teaching model um, for the people at that time. And it is the story of Jesus Christ. The entire sanctuary tabernacle narrative is the gospel, basically. It's all about salvation in Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus isn't mentioned, even though we're, we're killing animals and doing all this, the whole thing is about Jesus, everything. And it gets really hard to read that stuff when you know they're talking about the drapes and what color thread they used and how many curtain rods and what the curtain rods are made of and what the rings are and how many rings and um, how many cedar planks and how many layers of coverings that are over the top of it. You know, there's white ones and blue ones and purple ones. Um, that stuff gets super hard to read. If we're all being honest, we we gloss past that. But the really diligent student will dig into that and understand that, one, there's nothing in the Bible that's there by mistake. It's all there for a purpose. And sometimes it's this stuff that's the most mind-numbing when you're going through it. And you're just like, I can't, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to get through this because it's just a lot of what seems like useless information. Is It's those times when you're getting some of the biggest bang for your buck in the whole Bible. And that, I'm telling you, the sanctuary system is just that. Understanding this setup helps you understand the prophecies. It helps you understand everything better. Okay? And so what we have here, Jesus is standing up. So on the Day of Atonement, which is what this would be equating to, on the Day of Atonement, there is a a set series of events that happens, and it starts at the, you know, altar of burnt sacrifice. It goes all the way to the Most Holy. And at the end, the high priest will have destroyed or burnt the record of all all of our sins. They will be expunged forever. And that's what Jesus is in the process of doing right now. And once it ends, like like again, like in the days of Noah, when that door closes, it's over. 
But there's one, there's one part of it that's left, and that's the scapegoat. Right, the scapegoat, which is a zazel. If you look that word up, it's a zazel. Some people will tell you that they believe that a zazel is Satan. Um, the apocrypha will tell you all kinds of stuff about a zazel. How he is the leader of the renegade watcher angels from Genesis six that came down and mated with human women, and um, had done a lot of things with humanity about teaching them things we weren't supposed to know and this, that, and the other thing. So there's a good case to be made that Azazel is Satan, Lucifer. You know, Satan's already a title, but um, more than a name, it's a title, the accuser. And just like Jesus, Emmanuel, you know, God with us, Jesus, Yahweh saves, Michael, he who is like God, uh, has those multiple names. Well, Lucifer would have the same Lucifer being the light bearer, Satan being the accuser, and then Azazel being the scapegoat. Because when this world has fallen, and there have been millions and millions and millions of people, hundreds and billions of people, subjected to a dying, decaying world that was not the way that God made it. We went through all of this history and all of these struggles, all this stuff because of what one entity did. Somebody has to be responsible for all this. And that's where the scapegoat comes in. The scapegoat is to be cast off to carry the guilt and shame of all of this. That's where the scapegoat comes in. So we go to Leviticus 16, 7 through 10. And scripture says, uh, And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, uh, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make a sin offering. And that's where the records of your sins are being expunged. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to set it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Um, and so for me, with this, all this that's going on here, this relates back to when Satan is bound up for the thousand years. I believe that's the scapegoat part of all of that. But anyway, we're not going to hover on this too long. We're going to move on um, back. To the three angels' messages, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receive the mark of his name. So in other words, if you take the little horn power's mark, you will be damned for eternity. Your torment will ascendeth up forever and ever. Um, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So, be a faithful father of Jesus Christ and keep his commandments and live with Jesus forever. The faith of Jesus, what's the testimony of Jesus? It's the spirit of prophecy, right? So, this is not a coincidence, folks. The Sabbath matters. In fact, the Sabbath is necessary. And notice, God says, remember this day. And it sure seems like we've forgotten it. Um... And it's, you know, it's one of those, it's a, it's kind of a popular saying. I've heard it a bunch of times, but it's like the day that God told us to remember is the day they want us to forget. He literally told us to remember it and they're trying to make us forget it. That's got to mean something to you guys. It's got to. Um, but right now, you know, I get it. Somebody's calling me a Pharisee. Um, 
and I know that many of you have a, a lifetime worth of programming telling you that I'm wrong, okay? But um, just hear me out on some things, and we're going to deal with some of your counterpoints. Um, I can't hear you, but I already know what some of your counterpoints might be. So let's take a look at a couple of them, okay? <clears throat> Bullet point one, I'm in Christ now. I'm not under the law because the law was nailed to the cross. Okay, that one sounds pretty good. Um, it's, it's popular in our churches today to hear this phrase, the law was nailed to the cross. But this is a false teaching because it's only partly true. Now, when you're dealing with God, understand this, that 99% obedience to God is 100% rebellion to God. The only thing that the only thing that it counts is 100% obedience. If you've broken one law, you've broken them all. So, um, you know, just ask King Saul, right? He did almost everything God commanded. And if you look at uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, you'll see the story that Saul was commanded to wipe out the Amalekites. But uh, Saul decided to spare King Agag. He decided to let him live. He did almost everything. It was a rousing victory, you know, of course, powered by God. But he went through all the steps except for killing that king. And what happens? Samuel comes along, tells Saul, your disobedience has taken your anointing away from God to be king now. And Samuel kills the king. Samuel runs him through because he is being obedient to God at that point. And Saul now is on the wrong side of God. Now, just real quick for all the people that are going to be like, well, God, God was a homicidal maniac in those days, and uh, we had to make a New Testament, so we had a fuzzier, warmer, nicer God uh, because he was a murderer in the Old Testament. The Amalekites, at least in some some portion of them, were... Nephilim giants. They were Nephilim corrupted. They were an abomination because it said there were giants on the world before and after the flood. We don't know how they got here after the flood. Maybe a second angelic incursion or as I believe like Nimrod found a way to do it ritually somehow. Somehow. I don't know. I can't explain it. But nonetheless, there were giants there and that's why they're being wiped out, because all the flesh, all the DNA was corrupted. The very reason the flood came in the first place to wipe everything out, because creation was corrupted. He wasn't a murderer. It was an act of love for his good creation, which was man. It was an act of love for us to take them out. Um <clears throat> Okay, so back to Sabbath. How is it only partly true about being nailed to the cross? Okay. So let's look at Deuteronomy 29, verse 1. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Okay, so beside the covenant he made with them in Horeb. So that means, you know, other than the one he made. So he made one in Moab and he made one in Horeb. So what happened at Horeb? 1 Kings 8, 9. There was nothing in the ark, oh, that's the ark of the covenant, to save two tables of stone 
which Moses put there at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. So at Horeb is where the Ten Commandments come into play. This is where we see the finger of God inscribe into stone his eternal law. This is where that happens. So there's two sets of laws. Horeb is the Ten Commandments. Um, and then they were stored inside the ark. See that? There was nothing in the ark save the two tab tablets of stone or tables of stone. Those are the Ten Commandments. They are inside the ark. Um, those are the moral laws of God. But at Moab, Moses presents new laws besides or in addition to the Ten Commandments. So what is the second set of laws? Deuter or what of them? Deuteronomy 30.10, If thou shalt hearken unto my voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law, if, you, uh, if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all my heart and all thy soul, so this law is written in the form of a book, not on stone tablets. Deuteronomy 31.24, And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished. Okay, so who wrote it? Moses wrote it at the command of God, of course, but it's not carved in stone. It's in a book. It's on a parchment, likely, or papyrus, or whatever they were writing on parchment, I would suspect. Uh, so where is this book kept? Uh, Deuteronomy 31.25, that Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, take this book of the law and put it in the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. So the first set of law carved in stone by God's finger, for meaning it's to last forever, was kept within the ark, in, within the presence of God himself. The second set of laws was a book written by the hand of Moses, which is kept on the outside of the ark. So just like there are two different types, or multiple types of Sabbath, there are different types of laws. The moral law, which never ends as long as the world exists, and the ceremonial law, which was given later as a form of justification. And it is this law, this ceremonial law, that is in fact nailed to the cross. Justification is through Jesus Christ's sacrifice and, and his blood alone, nothing else, not the law. But there were two kinds of law. So if you say that the law is nailed to the cross and over, if you mean that all the law is nailed to the cross, that is a false teaching. If you are just saying that half of it is nailed to the cross, but you're acting like the other half doesn't exist, also a false teaching. <clears throat> so Matthew 5.17, think not that I am come to destroy the law. I'm not here to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, I'm in King James. I don't know which, I don't know what version you're reading and what it says there, but it says, think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And it's this fulfill part, and I bet you destroy is changed in some other translations too. I bet you. But 
It's this fulfill part that they grab a hold of and run. The false teachers, that is. Um, and, you know, or just, you know, some genuine, genuinely naive or deceived people, whatever. I'm not saying everybody that's saying this is evil, but, or intending to be a false teacher, but it's that fulfill part that they get uh, twisted with. And so when we look at verse 18, Matthew 5, 18, for verily I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass, not one yote or one tittle shall pass no wise from the law till all be fulfilled. So Jesus is saying, until heaven and earth pass away, there won't be one yote or one tittle pass away from the law until everything's fulfilled. Now, has everything been fulfilled? No. Many prophetic events lay before us. Uh, not to mention, he says, until the heavens and earth end. Has that happened yet? No, because we're sitting on in the earth right now. It hasn't, it hasn't passed away. Um, so in Jesus' own words, the law stands. Quick fun fact, by Yote and Tittle, the Yote, um, these are the smallest little characters that could be found written in there or whatever. Um, he's saying not even the smallest, most insignificant marks of a pen on this will disappear. It's going, it's going to last until heaven and earth pass away. But that Yote is actually, this story, this verse, is the impetus for the saying that we have today, not one iota. And I know many of you have heard that, not one iota. That comes from the yoke here. Um, now, verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall te teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So if you break the least of the commandments, you will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Right there. I mean, Jesus is saying that the commandments stand. But, uh, and so by fulfilling, again, I go back to the fulfilling where the people are using that, they grab onto that, and they say that means he put an end to it. That's not what that means. When Jesus fulfills it, um, one, there were prophecies about his first advent as the, uh, the suffering servant, right? All those came true by his presence there. All of those came true, but he walked this world for 33 years as a man and did not break any of the rules. That's what he means by fulfilling it. He was able, he was able to navigate this earth and this life that he had without breaking the law. That's what fulfillment means. So we have it right here um, from Jesus himself that the law is not nailed to the cross. Only part of it is. Only the ceremonial law, which was for justification at the time. Once the veil was torn in the temple and all that, that ceremonial law went out the door. Bullet point two. <clears throat> I'm saved by faith, not works in the form of commandment keeping. That's legalism. Okay, that is correct. But it does not mean that the laws are abolished. Salvation or justification is through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his once and for all sacrifice. And, you know, Paul says in Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall there be no flesh justified in his sight. Right? There's no, so we know that. We get that. The law, that's, that's, where one, that's where the confusion comes in. That's where the double talk comes in. You are not saved by the law. We get that. 
We get that. But that doesn't mean the law is nailed to the cross. So what else does Paul go on to say in Romans 3.20? For by the law is knowledge of sin. By the law is knowledge of sin. So what is the law doing for us? It's sanctification. It's not justification. It's sanctification. Um, And why is that important, you ask? Um, Because sanctification is the action of setting something or someone apart as holy, purifying it and dedicating it to God's service. Let me say that again. The action of setting something or someone apart as holy, purifying it and dedicating it to God's service. So we look at Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. See that? Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. What did sanctification mean? It means setting apart for holy. So not being sanctified can be a big problem for you. Um, What does Jesus say? You know, What does Jesus say that, um, surely I never knew you, right? We're knocking. Didn't we drive out demons in your name? I didn't know you. Why? Why didn't he know them? Because they weren't part of the sanctifying program. Now, you have justification, sanctification, and glorification. These are these three stages. This is shown in the tabernacle system. This whole thing is shown in the tabernacle system. So you can't turn around and say certain parts of this don't matter. That we only have to worry about salvation or justification and that's it. It's over. The tabernacle system shows us that there's something very different. This is this is how you become saved, but you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is the sanctification part. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, and you see it through the furniture that's in the holy place. When you come into the tabernacle system, you have the altar of burnt sacrifice, which is Christ on the cross. You come to the bronze lavar, which is uh, represents the baptism. Then you go into the holy place. This is this is in the court. When you go into the temple, now you have the furniture. And to the right is the table of showbread or God's word. And then you have the altar of incense, which represents your prayer and supplication to God. And then you have the candlestick, which is the churches and being a, a light to the world in evangelism. These are the stages of sanctification, reading your Bible, your prayer and relationship with Christ, and your being a light to the world and evangelizing. These are the sanctifying elements that the Holy Spirit walks you through. And if you don't have them, you know, if you're not part of that, then you have to start fearing your own salvation. He said you have to work your salvation out through fear and trembling. So make it known and make it understood that Ignoring the law is taking matters into your own hands and just assuming that you have a get-out-of-jail-free card because you were baptized and you believe Jesus was on the cross and you think you can do anything else the rest of your life. And that's not true. You cannot do this. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.2 For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. 
that ye shall abstain from fornication. Right? That every one of you should know how to possess in his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of, uh, I don't know what that word is. Even as the Gentiles which know not God. Sometimes sometimes this King James stuff is hard to deal with. I'm sorry. But I'm just trying to get the point across. This is about sanctification. So you see the law is a sanctification mechanism. A necessary part of salvation process. It's not why you get saved. It's how you stay saved. It's how you grow in the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, Once saved, always saved is not true. You can find your way out of salvation. Again, I'll go back to it. Lord, Lord, did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? And on the other side of the door, uh, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Surely I never knew you. I never knew you. Well, they were driving out demons and they were doing miracles. So that meant that the Holy Spirit was in them. They were believers. And the Holy Spirit can use anybody. He can use anybody that's a willing vessel to do his works. But Jesus never knew him because he these people didn't participate in the sanctification part. So for everybody that thinks that this law, the Ten Commandments, are not binding on you, that's a big problem. It's a big problem. <clears throat> Okay, so we're going to bullet point number three. Boy, I hope I get all this done. Keeping Sabbath is not in the New Testament. The apostles didn't. They kept the Lord's Day, which is Resurrection Day. Okay, well, first of all, let's look at Mark 2.28. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Hmm. Lord of the Sabbath sure sounds like um, the Lord's Day is Sabbath and not Resurrection Day, right? When Jesus says he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that kind of sounds like he's saying that's his day. Um, And there's a ton of this in Acts. There's a ton of this. People say, oh, they met together and they broke bread and they received collections on Sunday. That's the Lord's day. That's when they were doing it. Understand something. You can worship on any day of the week. Sabbath is a rest day of worship. It's a different situation. And when people say, oh, well, Paul was collecting, he told them to collect their money on Monday so it was ready when he come around the next time. Um, and they think that means, oh, we collect the money because it's Sabbath or it's, it's service time. No, Paul is saying start on the first day of the week so you have a whole week to get the money ready by the time I come around again. Because, you know, it's an ordeal for me to come around, make sure you have it all, get a head start, make sure you get it all done. Not that this is a day of service. Breaking bread, because they broke bread on the first day of the week, that means zero. That means nothing. It has nothing to do with Sabbath in any way, shape, or form. But let's look at Hebrews 4.1, which for those of you that aren't sure or whatever, you know, I'm not trying to insult anybody, but if you're one of the people who thinks it's not, you know, this stuff isn't in the New Testament, Hebrews is a book in the New Testament. There's debate to who wrote it, but I believe it was Paul, and most people think it was Paul that wrote it. So <clears throat> Hebrews 4.1 pretty much shuts the door for me. So let's just read it. Um, <clears throat> duh, 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 duh. Hebrews 4.1 in Scripture says, Let us therefore fear, lest the word uh, for last here means something from the past. So let us therefore fear something from the past, a promise being left of us entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. 
So what does that say? Let us therefore fear for any of you that are coming short of falling into the day of his rest. If you are not in his rest, if you're coming short of it, you should fear. This word fear here is not the way that we use fear, fear of the Lord as in reverence him as holy. This word that they use here is be scared of, tremble, fear, actual scared fear if you aren't taking his rest day, okay? Verse two, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it, uh, who did not enter in those without true faith. So the people that were not taking the rest day, the actual Sabbath, are the ones without the true faith. Okay, verse three, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said. As I have sworn in my wrath, if they uh, shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, Paul says, we do enter into rest. Verse 4, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. Uh, On this wise here uh, means in this way. So it would say, for he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God did rest the seventh day from all of his work. So here it is, the seventh day. We got Paul talking about it. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. So it remaineth that we must enter in, but the ones that don't are the ones that have the unbelief. Verse 7, again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, which I presume to mean the Psalms, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Verse 8, this is the bomb. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? So in other words, if there was a new day because of the crucifixion, Jesus would have told us. He didn't. So there goes your the Lord's day routine. Paul is saying, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Now, what is Paul saying here? Had Jesus given them rest? If by taking the cross, if that would have transferred Sabbath, rest day, to the day of his resurrection, we would have been notified. Paul is saying it right there. Now, who gave us rest to start with? It wasn't Jesus. It was the Father. It was God. Yes, Jesus is God, but they are three separate and one, right? So here, God gave us the rest day, not Jesus. So the rest day is not about Jesus resurrecting. It's about God's creation. That's the day that's to be kept holy. Jesus is doing a different function here not creating rest days. So Hebrews 4 to me is good enough. Well, we go on to verse 9. 
Wait a minute, I just want to say it again because it sounded so good. Verse 8, for if Jesus had given them rest for Sabbath, if he would have, by taking the cross, he would have given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There remaineth a rest, a Sabbath to the people of God. Uh, yeah, so when I got in here, do I have time for all this? What bullet point am I on? Maybe I'll pass on that. I'm going to pass on that so we can keep moving. Mark, uh, bullet point four. If there is a mark of Satan, why isn't there a mark of God? Okay. Revelation 7, 1 through 3. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of earth and the wind that should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. So right here, there is a mark, isn't there? There is. So let's look at a seal real quick. I'm going to take a little drink. I'm, I, I am conscious of slurping and smacking and how it sounds on here. And I'm sorry, everybody, but I, I, I'm thirsty. So Esther, the book of Esther, chapter 3, verse 9. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the sons of Hamadatha and the uh, Agite, Agagite, the Jews' enemy. So what we're really looking here is, let it be written, and he took the ring. Let it be written, he took the ring. Esther 8, write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed in the king's ring may no man reverse. So this seal involves a law from the king. No man may reverse it. This is a law from the king. The seal authenticates it's from the king, that it, it identifies with him. A seal, and in this case it's his ring, is pressed into the wax, leaving an impression of the crest or whatever, the logo, if you will, of this king. And it contains information, right? It contains information, and we're going to get that in a second. So in Isaiah, uh, we also see a seal it involves law. This seal involves law. Isaiah 8, 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. We also see that in Daniel, where he is told to seal up the book. So back to Esther 8. Then were the king's scribes called on the 13th day of the first month, and there was written according to uh, all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof. And to every people after their language in the name of King Aseros, 
uh, was it written and sealed with the king's ring. So we see the seal gives info on who it belongs to. It's got his name. Isn't his name Xerxes? I'm pretty sure it's it's Xerxes, so I'm just going to go with that. Aseros, I'm, I'm not sure how to say that. Um, but Aseros or, or Xerxes uh, is his name. His title is king and his kingdom. You know, the provinces here are indicating his kingdom. So we see it see it gives info and it pertains to law. So what happens when we look at a seal versus, you know, through God's law? Is there one of the verse or one of the um, commandments that shows this information that it could be the seal of God? Exodus 20. Uh, 10, Exodus 20, 10 through 12. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not uh, do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, manservant, maidservant, cattle, stranger, so forth. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all them that is in it and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord, thy God, given thee. Okay, so can we find this information that would be a seal in this? Yes, his name, the Lord, thy God. His title, creator, and his territory, heaven and earth. He is the Lord, thy God, the creator of heaven and earth. That is the seal. That is him. And he has given us this day as his day. So um, now many people will say the seal of God's people is the Holy Spirit. And, you know, at one time I would have agreed with that. And it's still hard to say it's not. It, it You know, it is. It, it's hard to say it isn't. But remember, he says that the way is narrow. There are believers that are not going to make it. And those believers have the Holy Spirit in them if they were baptized. What does is, what is, uh, you know, Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if they were baptized, they have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. But not everybody's going to make it. Lord, Lord, did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? Surely I didn't know you. So it's not the Holy Spirit. Um, There's something else that's a mark. Okay? Bullet point number five. The law and Sabbath were only for Jews. They're not for anybody else. It's just for the Jews. Um, so let me, let me go, let me go further than everything that I've already said about the law to suggest that the moral law has always existed. It wasn't new when Moses received it. Okay. That wasn't the first time this law came into being or came into focus in scripture. So let's look here. First Timothy 2.14 And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. So we're in the Garden of Eden right now. This is right after creation and everything. We're in the Garden of Eden. We're with Adam and Eve. And Eve was in transgression. 
So what does that mean? 1 John 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So Eve transgressed the law, therefore she sinned because sin is transgression of the law. The moral law was transgressed by Eve because it was already in play. What else did John say? 1 John 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil from the beginning. That means as the time of creation, at a bare minimum, Satan was sinning or transgressing law. Wow. It's been here all along. Why? God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He never changes. He never changes. So how... How would that just all of a sudden pop up, right? How would that law just all of a sudden pop up if he's always the same? Okay. Let's see. The point here is to say the Ten Commandments stand. And uh, to say that they have been abolished is heresy because the law has always existed. And as Jesus uh, said previously, will last until heaven and earth pass away. It is timeless. There's a reason it was carved in stone by his own finger. Ever notice? Forgive me if I brought this up somewhere else along the line. There's three places that I can think of where, where God writes. And all three times he always writes with his finger. The Ten Commandments. Um, Daniel 5. Actually, it might be at the end of Daniel 4 or it's in Daniel 5 where he writes the war- writing on the wall and then when the woman's going to be stoned and he starts writing in the sand. And Jesus does. He always writes with his finger. Um, okay, so bullet point. I think that was, that was enough. That was for the Jews only. Adam and Eve were not Jews. Okay. Jews don't happen until Abraham. The Jews are the promised descendants of Abraham. So Adam and Eve aren't Jews and all the people up until um, Abraham's descendants. Abraham's not a Jew. It's the descendants that come out of him that become the Jews, right? So Sabbath and the law and all this stuff was already in play at the Garden of Eden. So this is not something that's just for Jews. This is for everyone. Um I'm uh, sorry, back to uh, bullet point six. The mark can uh, not be a day of worship. It's clearly a tattoo, a chip, or a barcode. Okay? Revelation thirteen sixteen, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Notice it says mark in their right hand or in their forehead. There are other translations that are going to say mark on their right hand. And I think that's, honestly, if we're just being honest, I think some of the other translations, that's on purpose. Because that leads people to the barcode tattoo, you know, nonsense. Or the literal 666 engraved in you or whatever. That on. But in King James, it's in. It's in your hand or in your forehead. Um, so what is... What does God tell us about the forehead and the hand? Is there somewhere where we can find that, where he references something like this? Let's look at Deuteronomy 6. Now, these are the commandments 
the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded uh, to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear uh, the Lord thy God and keep his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy might. And these words which I commanded thee this day uh, shall be in thine heart." And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, uh, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by thy way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hands, and they shall pass, or they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Um, let me say that again. Thou shalt bind them, what? His statutes and his commandments. You shall bind them upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. So if we think between thine eyes, that, you know, we can all agree, right? No matter who we are. between That can constitute forehead, yes? I think we can. I think we can agree on that. That's the forehead. So <clears throat> what is... First of all, what is a frontlet? Okay. Strong's Hebrew 2902. It's a phylactery. <laughs> well, that helped. We looked that up and that's what we got, a phylactery. That helps. What's a phylactery? Uh, it's a small leather box worn by Jews with scripture inside to help them remember to keep the law. It's a reminder. Same with the, the hand. They would tie things around their hand, Right as a reminder to keep the law and in order to stay holy, to keep the law. So he is saying that this mark, this mark of the beast, remember we're symbolic here. We're in prophecy. So when Revelation is saying there's going to be a mark on the the uh, wrist or forehead or back of the hand, all that stuff, when it's saying that, it's referring us somewhere else. There's a callback somewhere else. So when we do the callback, what what are we seeing? God is saying that He wants His commandments on our you know hand or or forehead or whatever. Some people some people say with stuff like this that between the eyes means your mental understanding of it and in your hand because you're doing the physical works of helping people and everything. So it's faith and self, uh, faith and works together. Um, doing the sanctification part. Some people say that. You can also look at it as being the little leather box that is a reminder, but either way it revolves around his commandments. It's keeping his commandments is what this mark is, or not keeping the commandments and keeping the commandments of the little horn power, which is Sunday. Sunday. He is causing you to have that mark of you know his mark on your hand and your forehead instead of where God says he wants his commandments to be there. He wants his commandments to be a sign upon thy hand and frontlets between the eyes. 
not the other guys. But the other guys is going to put him there. Why? Because he is an anti-Christ. Another Christ. A counterfeit Christ. So anyway, Deuteronomy 6 is where you will find the hand and the forehead part. So let's see. I think we've got mostly through a lot of the stuff. Um, I got some closing arguments that I had pre-listed on here. So let's see if uh, I don't repeat myself a bunch in reading this. The fourth commandment stands. The Sabbath is a law. Now this law is not salvational. We've discussed that. Uh, but this is where they get you because people do not understand that justification and sanctification are both important. Um, the law is sanctifying and the law tells us what sin is. Without the law, we don't know what sin is. How do we know that? Because Romans 7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay. I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So here Paul is telling us, it's the law that tells us what the sin is. We have to have it. Um, so it's a law list of sins. We observe these laws to avoid sinning the best we can. Uh, we can be forgiven of these sins, but we must confess them and repent of them. But remember, sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. The sanctuary system shows us that the record of our sin must be destroyed by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. But each sin has to be addressed by the sinner and transferred to Jesus so he can destroy it. That's our job. It's not the priest's job to transfer our sin into the sanctuary for it to be destroyed. Um, Jesus as our high priest is not in autocorrect with our sins. Just because you've been baptized and you believe in him, he is not wiping them out as they come. This isn't asteroids. As they're falling, doo, 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 he's destroying them all. That's not happening. You have to... Can, you have to confess these sins and repent these sins yourself. You have to address them. Um, so uh, churches are misleading people with the once saved, always saved thing. They just are. Um, we do not have a license of sin because we put our faith in Christ, and we must deal with each sin to get them forgiven. We must repent of them, or we will be in trouble when he returns. The law is crucial to this process. I stated this before, but I'll keep pounding it. Sabbath is unique. That it is a time and a law. Scripture says the little horn power will think to change times and laws. The Catholic Church proudly admits they changed Sabbath, a time and a law, to Sunday. This is also a unique one um, because you can't repent this one. Why? Well, if you abandon Sunday as Sabbath and you actually keep the real one, then yes, you can. But if you continue to go along with the little horn powers Sabbath of Sunday, then you are living in perpetual transgression of the law. They made a system where they say you are worshiping God, but in reality, every single Sunday that you act as Sunday is your Sabbath and you go into church, you're breaking the fourth commandment. It's insidious, but it's pure genius at the same time. Why do you think Jesus says that there are so few that will enter, you know, the narrow gate? Um, this is Satan's kingdom. All of this stuff is a lie. You got to remember, all this stuff is a lie. 
uh, is people think they're automatically in because they're being led to believe that. How did they get there? Because they didn't read their Bibles. They listened to what supposed experts say, but again, Satan's kingdom, even the churches lie. Well, many of them do. Um, and some of them are just mistaken. It's not that they're intentionally lying, but, you know, sometimes they are mistaken. So I think, I feel like we have given some pretty good um, explanations about Sabbath and how the law stands and how it is a, a commandment, how we need to be keeping our commandments, right? And um, so I think I feel pretty good about closing this one out, but I want to add a few little notes about some other stuff in here. Um, something I should have mentioned before, I think, but when we were talking about how, and this relates to Sabbath too, actually, in Daniel 3, how how that gives us an image, a picture of the image of the beast, right? The whole system, the Nebuchadnezzar idol and the worshiping and all of this, it gives us the number 666. It gives us the false worship. It gives us the, the image. It gives us all of it. When I should have pointed out to you guys or made extra special reference to is that just like the little horn power is in his Sabbath changing to Sunday. It's just like that in Daniel 3. You notice that they are to drop and worship when they are commanded. It's a time. They are to follow the dictates of Nebuchadnezzar when to worship. When they hear, not before, not, you know, sometime later, when he says to worship is when they worship. And so in that model of being an antichrist image of the beast situation in Daniel 3, it explains to us for our time that, yes, the little horn power is going to dictate to us when we worship. It's just like Daniel 3's instruments. This is when you worship. And again, I'm not past the part that those, you know, the command, the time is given with those instruments. Um, that's coming up. That's coming up. Looking at you, Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation, Worship, looking at all you guys because you are not safe in this series. Um, and the heresies, you know, we, we know the things you've said. We know the things you've done. We know the things you've pulled. We will be discussing that at some point. And I believe that in one way, shape, or form, that the timing, the command of the timing of worship, there being musical instruments, is actually telling telling us something. Um, so anyway, the other thing that I was kind of thinking of is back when we were doing the physical image in Washington, D.C., making a physical image of Rome, um, I had discussed that this is not an uh, American Christian nation. This is an American uh, Freemasonic nation. This is Freemasonic, and they made everything: the Capitol, you know, all the all the great sites and all the great statues and so forth. Which leads us to the Statue of Liberty, and 
I've been saying that the Daniel 2 statue shows us the characteristics of the Antichrist and it's the characteristics that come through the Roman system that come into the image of the beast, which is American apostate Protestantism, that these religious practices will come through, right? So we go to the Statue of Liberty is something I want to bring up. The Statue of Liberty, when you look at it, He's got seven rays of sun, or she does, coming out of her crown. That's Mithra. You can go back and look. You can Google it. Google Statue uh, of Liberty and Mithra, or Mithraism, Mithraism, and you'll find it. But there is carvings and stuff depicting Mithra with that same seven sun ray thing coming out. That's Mithraism. Right in our supposed, you know, Christian country or whatever, and that and the Statue of Liberty, of course, is also some level of knockoff of the Colossus of Rhodes, which was a you know ancient wonder of the world, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. But uh, Mithraism is one of the symbols of our country, isn't that fun? And that's not the only place you'll see the Mithraism either. Um, there's other places. But um, one place, and I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. But you can look on the United States Army flag. I was in the Army, love the Army. And uh, you will see a little cap on the flag, on the logo. Um, That's a Phrygian cap. And Roman slaves who had gained freedom would wear this hat. That looks like that. It looks like if you if you need some help envisioning what I'm talking about, it looks like a Smurfs hat. Only it would be red, Smurfs hat. And so you'll see that hat on the army flag. But that the uh, the Roman slaves who had gained their freedom would wear this Phrygian cap, and it would identify that they um, had got their freedom back. Well, those hats also trace their way into Mithraism. That was what um, Mithra priests and stuff would wear these hats. And so this comes all the way through, and you'll see that hat in other places in our Americana. Um, just throwing it out there. But anyway, um, those were a couple little housekeeping notes. And you know what? I'm, I got one other thing. Hopefully, if uh, people are listening, I'm gonna, I'll probably do this twice. If you guys are listening to this all the way through, I want to say something now, but I'm also going to do it at the beginning of the next episode, just in case somebody doesn't get all the way to this point. But... I want to give a shout out um, to a listener. I'm assuming it's one. It could be more. But um, I noticed that there is somebody in Nigeria. There is somebody in Nigeria that accounts for a whole bunch of the listens on this podcast. There, you know, and there are people in other countries, right? There are other countries. We're on four continents now. Still not a great big podcast, but we're out there, you know. But there's somebody in Nigeria that is dedicated to this. And there are people here in America that are dedicated to it, but that's somebody from another place that doesn't even know me and whatever, not from this country. And I I just want to say I appreciate you, whoever you are uh, in Nigeria. Thank you so much, brother or sister, for listening. And uh, it's just really – it's one of those things that makes you want to keep going, to know that I can get so far out into the world and have somebody – that is with us so frequently and so awesome. So whoever you are, we love you. We thank you. Reach out to us if you can. On the Spotify has a messaging app. We'd love to hear from you. And there's a Facebook page. 
But that is it. Everybody have a great day. Be blessed. We will see you in episode seven.